Hey everybody, Mike Dempsey here. It's NFL playoff time, and you can still win playing Underdog Fantasy by picking higher or lower on player stats at underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code 1010XL, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Now, get ready to spend the next two hours with our three sports-loving ladies, Lauren Brooks, Taylor Dahl, and Mia O'Brien. This is Helmets and Heels. Driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Well, we have reached the offseason as far as the Jacksonville Jaguars are concerned in full swing, I would say, because in the break, all we did was basically talk about <laughs> the draft upcoming and all the things that are offseason related. And it sucks because a year ago we were fresh off of the Jaguars playing the Chiefs in the divisional round. My, oh, my, a year flies by. It's really wild, honestly. It and is. It's a, like we're close to February already. We were talking about it in our meeting and like we do our promo meeting and obviously you work in advance a little bit and we were already talking about like players championship and all of these other things that come in like February, March and we're like, oh, we're, it's already getting pretty close to that. Yeah, we're about to turn our calendars to February <laughs> yeah. and, and all the things that come with that. So yeah, I'm with you. It's just crazy how a team can, the outlook for a team can change so much too between mm-hmm. the end of last season and, and certainly now. But the Jaguars did make the defensive coordinator hire official yesterday, Ryan Nielsen. He was the former Falcons coordinator, defensive coordinator, had one year of experience there and then comes to be the coordinator here. Mia, I would say the first thing you learn about Ryan Nielsen is that he likes to play man coverage. Mm -hmm. Certainly the Falcons played it the third most in the league last season. And so he's going to be aggressive and he likes man coverage. That's not exactly what this defense was this past season. Yes. Um, I, I And right on cue, uh, I think we've got maybe some breaking news from Rick Ballou. Who would have thought? He says that and maybe this is what he heard from the same listener, 1010 listener, who tried to text in and tell the text line earlier this as well, um, that Dave Huxtable, the longtime college assistant coach, coordinator, uh, who served as a senior defensive assistant in Atlanta last year, met Ryan Nielsen when they were working at NC State together, that he's joining the JAG staff. We had a listener already text into the station and say, well, Dave Huxtable's son played baseball at JU, so obviously he's coming. Um, so I'm wondering <laughs> if uh, if that's who Rick talked to. Um, but no, I mean, this is, this is very much a defense that, from what I have been told, is what Doug Peterson said he wanted when he first arrived in Jacksonville, which is a defense that gets after it, pressures mm-hmm. the quarterback, man coverage, the full bowls, if you may, the full wink, whatever you want to call it. But with a young up-and-coming guy who my insiders in the ATL have said they believe will become a head coach in the National Football League someday. And mm-hmm. I said this on on in primetime, and I was thinking about it on the drive-in. You go back to Ryan Nielsen's roots in the, in, in the NFL in New Orleans, and you couple that with that wonderful photo that J.P. Acosta of SB Nation posted yesterday where he kind of looks like Matthew McConaughey in um, – um, Dallas Buyers Club a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think he looks like Dale Earnhardt. Maybe Dale Earnhardt, too. That's what, I at can least see that's that. what yeah. but, but you look at that and you hear everything about Ryan Nielsen. We heard the sound from the practices and the training camp in Atlanta. And I just couldn't help but feel like, man, oh, man, is this Duval's Dan Campbell? Not saying he's going to, you know, be taking the head coaching job like Dan Campbell, obviously, has ascended to a head coach. But he did coach with Campbell when he was the assistant coach and tight ends coach in New Orleans mm-hmm. when – Ryan Nielsen was the defensive line coach. And that same kind of approach of, like, attacking each day ferociously, Mm -hmm. being a little more rah-rah, in-your-face, loud. I know Frank alluded to, like, a Joe Cullen, the younger, the lighter, a little bit rougher around the edges. Um, 
And that, I think, could be just what this team needs, and that's no knock on Mike Caldwell. It's because Doug Peterson is a more mild-mannered, relaxed, approachable type of guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Maybe as that defense coordinator, which with Doug dealing so much on the offensive side of the ball, maybe on the defensive side of the ball, that's where you kind of get that more in-your-face, gritty, like yelling type of guy, and that's how you create that, you know, the, the, the two different sides of the coin, if that makes sense. Yeah, I like it, and I think that it it's interesting when you look at it, too, because you mentioned it, Lauren, how he – is he's almost opposite of what the Jags were good at last year. Everything that the Jags defensively kind of stood out with, especially when it comes to interceptions and stuff like that, Falcons were opposite in, yeah. the, in those Take areas. Takeaways, good for the Jags, bad <laughs> yeah. for the Falcons. Falcons. But opposite in a lot of other areas when it comes to especially consistency and when it came down the stretch. But it, I think that they were really good at when, against third downs. They were really good in the red zone. Those were things where the Jags did struggle. Um, so it's almost fitting because you've seen the Jags in the aspects. You've seen them have the takeovers. You've seen them uh, excel in certain areas of the defense. But where they lacked, you know, have a coach who has had success and recent success in Atlanta. And there's a lot of things that kind of factor into this. Falcons had the easiest schedule in the league last season when it comes to strength of schedule. So people are kind of pointing that out. But one of the things that I also think you have to look at is how bad the offense was and how many times I know, for example, when the Bears played the Falcons at the end of the year, the Falcons threw four interceptions. And so the defense was on the field for almost 40 minutes of that game. Um, So you have to take into account some of those things because they weren't given an easy situation to kind of they were playing from behind a lot. There was a lot of those scenarios and they were still able to produce. And especially when you see the jump from 2022 to 2023 and a lot of that's the his aggressiveness. And we heard Pete Prisco talking earlier and he was like the Jags just weren't physical enough last year. And this is someone who can bring that physical aspect to the defense. Yeah, I'm sure his personality will be very different than Mike Caldwell's because I would say most defensive coordinators probably have a different personality than Mike Caldwell, who yeah. is very even keeled. But I think the biggest thing is going to be scheme. That's, mm-hmm. I think, all, all of our question going into this before Ryan Nielsen meets the media. What are you going to run? And I understand that no team is only 4-3 or only 3-4. There's always going to be hybrid stuff. But you do kind of have the the base of what you want. And so that's what I think will be interesting because really in defense, it just like in all of football, it goes back to personnel. Do you have mm-hmm. the personnel to play, man? Yeah. Do you have the personnel to get after the quarterback? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, Mike Caldwell probably included, would be like, yeah, I had Josh Allen and I had Trayvon Walker. Who who else? I mean, yes, Dewan Smoot coming off of an injury and Caleb on Chason's not going to give you a whole lot. Like, what exactly Devon was I supposed to do? Yeah. Devon Hamilton had the illness and yeah. then, right, didn't get to play for a long time and certainly wasn't the same player. Yeah. He had zero pass rush coming from the interior of yeah. that defensive line which is a a huge issue that they had all season long so those I think are some bigger questions it will be fascinating to watch now the personnel moves Mm -hmm. between here and when the season starts so I think that we can kind of find a little bit of a blueprint of what we can expect from Ryan Nielsen as the defensive coordinator and we can find it actually through the projections from over the cap for who will have compensatory picks in this April's NFL draft. You know, it's been noted, as I'm sure, and if you are you are just tuning into 1010XL for the first time today, the Jaguars have the first third-round compensatory pick via the Jawan Taylor signing with the Kansas City Chiefs. But let's go down a little bit further. David Onyemata, who was as reliable a defensive lineman for the Atlanta Falcons this past year as any before he got hurt, is going to net the New Orleans Saints a fifth-round pick. Caden Ellis, and I want to make sure I get these stats right. Caden Ellis, an inside linebacker, Mm -hmm. 
Probably didn't even know who he was or what position he played until I just told you that. He is netting the New Orleans Saints a fifth-round pick. I want to make sure I get these stats right because I know our, our friend John Shipley of Jaguar Report put it down. But the combination of Caden Ellis and their other inside linebacker, who's also like a no-name who you don't really know, mm-hmm. combined for 18 and a half tackles for loss, six sacks, three forced fumbles, and a pick, I believe the numbers were because I can't find it right now. So more um, pressure from the linebacker. Yeah, right, inside more pressure linebackers, from those inside linebackers. Just outside linebackers. Caden Ellis came to the, the Atlanta Falcons from the New Orleans Saints. Who else came to the Atlanta Falcons from the New Orleans Saints last offseason? Ryan Nielsen. And mm-hmm. so he brought those two guys with him. And so if you kind of look into what, you know, the fact that clearly he made them a priority. So right. you're saying Calais is coming back. Well, that's what, I, <laughs> and that's what all, all of Duval keeps asking. And I don't know. I mean, that I'm not. Six and a half sacks, we'll take it. I'm not going to speculate that. But the point I'm getting at is last year, Atlanta had a ton of cap space. So they mm-hmm. were able to go on a free agent frenzy. They were able to sign Calais. They signed Jesse Bates. Like, you go down the line. They were not afraid to throw money at high-priced free agents, especially on the defensive side of the ball because the cupboard was so bare outside of Grady Jarrett and a couple of high-priced um, draft picks over the past, you know, three or four years. And so they clearly dedicated some of that to Ryan Nielsen and said, pick who you want. And on the cheap, he got some of his own guys to bring with him. I'm not saying now that they're going to come to Jacksonville, but when you look at those profiles and how those players immediately had an impact in Atlanta system, mm-hmm. that can kind of give you an idea of what the current personnel in Jacksonville will be able to take their game to slash change their game to. And also maybe who's a cap casualty because you want to bring in guys that are part of your system. Well, and I would ask the question, like, is Devin Lloyd or Devin Lloyd and Chad Muma going to be the inside linebackers alongside Foye Lewican? That's what you would guess as of now. Again, a lot of things can change. Yeah. But are they good enough to be what you would expect out of them? Because what you're expecting in a scheme like that is the linebackers to do a whole heck of a lot. And oh, yeah. I know that Foye is fantastic. But Devin, at times, we certainly have had questions, and Chad didn't play a whole lot this year. But there's certainly it all starts to me, the personal decisions with Josh Allen and, and what happens. Mm-hmm. You would assume he's going to play here next year, whether that's for the t- on the tag or whether that's because they sign a long-term deal. That is yet to be determined. But if I'm Ryan Nielsen, that would be the first thing I would be requesting yeah. is I need number 41 to be on the field next year. All right, I want you all to finish this sentence. JJ, you too. Me, I'll start with you. The Jacksonville Jaguars would have advanced to the divisional round this past weekend if, and fill in the blank, they would have advanced the divisional round last weekend if there wasn't a phantom holding call on Anton Harrison or Brandon McManus makes the kick against the Cincinnati Bengals on Monday Night Football on December 5th. Okay, Taylor? Uh, Mine's not as specific. I'm just going to say the offense was more consistent throughout the season in general. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's a good one. J.J.? If they had, like, two more wins, a better quarterback, <laughs> I don't know, lots and lots and lots of things. Yeah, there's a lot a of things, defense. absolutely. I do think uh, mine would be if Trevor Lawrence didn't get hurt. I think it, we can talk all day long about how, yes, they couldn't run the ball, the offensive line didn't play well, and all those things, and all the drops that had happened throughout mm-hmm. the season. But if Trevor doesn't get hurt, in my opinion, they make it to the divisional round. I don't know that they win because they didn't win a year ago, mm-hmm. but – it sure feels like to me injury after injury after injury after injury, eventually he didn't wasn't the same quarterback. Well, I just feel like even if he got hurt against the Bengals, but they somehow scraped out a victory, he wouldn't have played against the Browns. They would have been in control of the number one seed in the in the AFC playoff picture. So he probably rests. Probably comes back against the Ravens, but who's to say that that one week of rest 
maybe sets him up to have a better game against the Ravens. A better Mm -hmm. Right, because then they don't completely change the game plan those next two weeks to try to counter and, you know, curtail to that injury. And then if even if you don't beat the Ravens, you would hope you're healthy enough that maybe that Bucks game plays out a little bit differently. And the biggest answer, once you've beaten the Bengals and then you beat the Panthers, you're into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's all you needed was to win two of those last six. Yeah. And who knows at that point if you win the wild card game yeah. like you did a year ago. Uh, certainly coming down from 27 nothing was a crazy way to finish that game. But certainly there's a lot of things that they were so close, yet it seems like so far yeah. now that – We've seen uh, two weekends yeah, there, of football go by without the Jags. To me, there was nothing in the like last eight weeks that made me feel they could have won a playoff game. Yeah, especially, and we just talked about the defensive coordinator. The reason they hired a defensive coordinator yeah. is because the, the defense certainly off. didn't play well. Right. And, I mean, certainly the run defense just absolutely killed you there in that uh, last game against the Titans. All right, when we come back, we will talk more about the divisional round in the NFL playoffs. You are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyra Outlet on 10 XL on 2.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. Taylor Dalmia O'Brien, J.J. Silva, I'm Lauren Brooks with you on this Tuesday night. All right, Taylor, I'm going to take a wild guess <laughs> and say that your favorite moment from the divisional round was the fact that Jordan Love <laughs> threw that interception and the Packers went down to the 49ers. Is that correct? Oh, that was it. Yes. I... You would have thought that the Bears were in the Super Bowl the way that me me and my friends, because we have like our Bears group that usually watches the Bears game together, got together to watch this game. To root against the Packers. Yes. And um, it was, we were just like, I was at one point I was making fun of us because I was like, okay, guys, we got to calm down a little bit. This isn't even, this is just us cheering against the Packers, but that's just how deep it is with them. And yeah, so when he threw that pick at the end, I was just like, amen. And I had just mentioned, I think on the show last week, or maybe it was the week before where I said that Jordan Love had thrown interceptions in seven games and they were they lost six of the seven games so now he's literally in eight games of his career in this last season he's had an interception and he's lost seven of those it's it's a weird and I know we always talk about how like don't turn the ball over but I wonder how many are that that drastic of you lose pretty much every single game where you throw one even one yeah, it certainly that one didn't come at a no. at a good time, and it was a very ill-advised throw. Yeah. It's almost I feel like everyone watching live, no matter who you're cheering for, going, "Don't throw that <laughs> ball across your body over the middle of the field." Like that is the one thing I'm sure you get taught a lot, but that's certainly one of the things that they teach you. Mia, was your favorite moment from Buffalo? Mm. The tailgate. Oh yeah, the tailgate <laughs> was great. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's always entertaining. Let's be real here. Um, but would you ever do that? Like, oh, I know oh. you don't normally tailgate before games for people who missed it. Buffalo Bills fans, as they always do, getting rowdy before the game. That's well and good. They jump onto tables. Okay, they like to break tables. I personally wouldn't want to do that because I feel like <laughs> it would hurt. But either way, but to jump onto a table that's on fire on purpose—that's really dumb. Especially because, no offense, but if this was the zero degrees from the week before or it's snowing, yeah, sure, maybe that then will, you know, 
de-ignite, right, or put out the flame. Mm-hmm. Um, it was only like 28 degrees, 30 degrees. Like that's barely <laughs> at freezing. Um, not really sure what the thought process was there. Um, I'm but, sure they think, well, there's snow everywhere. I'll be fine. Yeah, that's why I claim Central New York and the Finger Lakes is my second home, not Western New York out there in Buffalo. They're a little crazy. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, it was certainly the best game. It had the best storylines, whether it was the tailgates, whether it was the matchup of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, which I've seen so many folks, beginning with Nick Wright of Fox Sports, who now are proclaiming that is not our version of Brady versus Peyton that is our version of Brady versus Philip Rivers, who will never win anything. Mm-hmm. And so many people have floated that number of the cap hit that Josh Allen's contract will put upon the Buffalo Bills payroll next year and what that does for players like Micah Hyde, like Jordan Poyer, important pieces to that Buffalo Bills DNA over the last five years that they won't be able to pay them. They're going to have to draft well to continue to have success. Can Josh Allen put this team on its back? Has they Have they found the answer in Joe Brady at the OC position? Um, win or lose, so many interesting storylines coming out of that one. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes, man. Is he really becoming like Brady, not just with the Super Bowl rings and the, and the accolades, but you just can't kill him? <laughs> or did Buffalo let this game get away? I, I think there's just so much fascinating storylines long-term coming out of this game. Um, and also just the Bills craziness with Bills Mafia. It's really interesting to look at the Bills because the way that Stefan Diggs has just fallen off the second half of the season, and it's wild because he's someone that for the last couple seasons, at least preseason starting, you're talking about how he's a top wide receiver. But then when you look at his numbers down the stretch this season, he really didn't do much at all. He's led, he's been in top five of drops in the league for two years in a row, most last year. And then now I think tied for third this year when it comes to dropping the ball. Those are things you can't do if you're a wide receiver one, if you're supposed to be that guy that the quarterback can go to and confidently count on. And that's why I think a lot of people are talking about Calvin Ridley in that sense here in Jacksonville. It was like, do you keep him? Because when you are counting on a guy to be your guy, you need to be able to trust him to be in the right spot and to catch the ball and run the right routes and all of these other things. And there's issues with that. And I think also down the stretch also, we talked about how beat up the Bills when it comes to linebackers especially, but they had injuries all over the place. It was unfortunate for them because it all kind of started happening at the end. And it was right when they they were playing really well, but then they also started getting uh, just hit by injuries. But I think one of the things we have to look about is at least this round of games were competitive because the wild card games were not. I think there was one good wild card games, and all of these games were less than a touchdown apart at halftime. Yeah, they all, I felt like, were almost tied at the half. I mm-hmm. think the 49ers led 9-7 to seven at the half, and the other first three, I think, were all 10-10. to 10. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first two were 10-10, to 10, and then what was Chiefs? Well, yeah, it was 10-10. Ravens, Texans were 10-10. Niners, Packers was 7-6. Seven, six. Seven, uh, six, Bucks, Lions, 10-10. And then Bills, Chiefs was 17-13. Okay, yeah. A lot of 10-10 in there. Did you notice <laughs> yeah, that? Yeah, 10-10. Uh, yeah, I... I would say I laughed the hardest as far as moments uh, off the field at <laughs> Jason Kelsey. Ugh, he's fantastic. Oh, like, yes. I'm not a Travis Kelsey fan. He's By a the great way, tight end. As soon as you say this, I want to put the disclaimer out there. I know if you're driving around Jacksonville right now, there's at least a handful of you saying, Jason Kelsey just absolutely demolished Jacksonville with his words, and he said bad things about our city. Look. Yes, he did. A lot of people have said bad things. I wouldn't put him in the pantheon of people to disrespect Duval. And I understand that, like, that disrespect runs deep. Mm-hmm. But, like, we can isolate Jason Kelsey, the retiree, freshly off of, you know, his final season in the NFL, 
the only, I mean, Leon was doing the math. He's like the only center in the last 20 years to have made six Pro Bowls, or six All-Pro lists, excuse me. Like, we can honor that career, and then you can talk about him disrespecting Jackson. Well, yeah, you can still be annoyed at the fact that he said mean things about our city because, yeah, we have a pride of our city because anyone who's ever lived here understands how fantastic it is. But to me, just the the shirtlessness that existed. <laughs> like, again, I'm not a Travis Kelsey fan. I'm not a Jason Kelsey fan. I don't listen to the podcast. I, they are, I know, like a lot of attention. We saw that all season from Travis. And I think we saw that mm-hmm. certainly from Jason as well uh, in that game. But it was funny, like, yeah. and especially to all the people who are literally tuning in to see Taylor Swift and then Jason Kelsey just right in front her. of her. Like, like, that to me was hilarious. But I think the, the coolest story of the divisional playoff is the story about the Lions. I mean, mm-hmm. here's this team that hasn't done what it's doing in not just 30 years, but hasn't host or been in a championship game. They don't get to host, unfortunately, for them, but uh, hasn't been in a championship game since 1957. Like, that's yeah. insane. And to do what they're doing in, in, just the homegrown talent with Aiden Hutchinson. And mm-hmm. I know Jaguars fans, me to your point, mm-hmm. don't want to talk about anything positive about him either. I get it. We got a lot of hatred down here, don't we? Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah, and I, I think the story's cool. And the, the loyalty of Detroit fans, too. It, it's something that Lions fans are very passionate, and they've stayed passionate through all of this time, through all of the losing. You had to sit there and watch your quarterback of however many years it ended up being, leave your team and win a Super Bowl. And that's just like one diss after another. And it's not like they never had talent. You had Megatron. You had all of these guys that have been there that you're like, man, like there's moments where you you should have had chances to win. And maybe there were kind of on the cusp at certain points. But it also just like in the NFC North having to deal with 30 years of Hall of Fame quarterbacks hadn't been easy. (laughs) Um, But it is. It's a cool story. And that's why even last week I was like, I'm not cheering for them because obviously I will never cheer for a divisional opponent to like go win the Super Bowl. But they wouldn't be one where I'd be mad because you. D- I do feel, I'm like, man, I feel you. I, we've been there. <laughs> we've been in that losing for a long time also. Yeah, and I think uh, when, it com- when it all boils down to it, you've got some great storylines in both of the AFC mm-hmm. Championship and the NFC Championship. And we've already seen all the stats and graphics that ESPN has like five of its most watched games ever in the last 13 months. Mm-hmm. The most watched game ever was uh, this past weekend for ESPN. Like it, the the numbers are going to be yeah. wild and crazy, but I do think like having Mahomes versus Lamar Jackson, the AFC Championship game to me couldn't have gotten much better than that. Yes, you have the MVP versus the the goat. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, yeah, who could be the MVP every year? Right. But I understand Lamar earned it. This Which year. that was the territory we were approaching with Tom Brady. So mm-hmm. that's where I think you can absolutely put Patrick Mahomes, especially now off fresh off of his first playoff victory of his career. You can absolutely put him in the GOAT conversation if you haven't already. Um, I know J.J. put him in there a couple years ago. Um, And and then in the NFC, you have the number former number one overall pick who got forgotten about again the last pick. Literally (laughs) Mr. Irrelevant. (laughs) Um, So, honestly, like two forgotten men who, granted, have played very well and have been among the top ten quarterbacks statistically Mm -hmm. all year long. So, it's not like, no offense, it's not like the Blake Bortles, Nick Foles final four from 2017. Um, But – then on the other half, you have arguably the two best quarterbacks, if only statistically, the past year. Yeah, but it's interesting, too, because I feel like there are more stars maybe in the NFC Championship game outside of the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like there are some— You go through full rosters of yeah. names you would name. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Especially because the Chiefs, I mean, you talk about Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey but and Chris Jones, and obviously there's some names, but— 
for the most part all year we've been like who is he's throwing to we're seeing Marcus Valdez Scantling come out of the woodworks again yep. and then Kadarius Tony didn't even play so it's Pacheco had a game where you're like wow like these guys are the moments you've talked about them but never consistently throughout the season yeah it's championship DNA and yeah. winning franchises and that's what makes all of us so mad yet again <laughs> talking about more uh, dislike from the Jacksonville Jaguars fan base. Nobody likes the Kansas City Chiefs. All right, when we come back, we'll review our impact players and pick our impact players moving uh, forward. Real quick, before we take a break, a bit of breaking news. Oh. As we officially do have the selections to the Baseball Hall of Fame All right. by the Baseball Writers Association of America. For the class of 2024, Adrian Beltre, Todd Helton, and Joe Maurer have all earned election to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Billy Wagner missed the final the like the final stage the you know making it to the hall of fame by five votes oh that's gotta be ninth year of eligibility and he came up just short of the 75 percent needed to be enshrined into the hall of fame oh that's gonna be tough to sleep tonight all right we've got more to do right here on tenson excel 92.5 fm Stilettos and Sabermetrics. Helmets and heels driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Vans on 1010XL. Thanks for tuning in to the ladies tonight. We're going to review our impact players that we picked for the divisional round. Taylor, you like to go with players that you might could put a jinx on. <laughs> Well, I started last week because I was like, (laughs) I've got to figure something out. But I didn't think about it well enough because I did it for the Packers, but I didn't do it for Kansas City. That is correct. I was texting you guys. I was like, dang it, I could have tried to do my curse double. You did not do a (laughs) double curse. But I would say your curse or your jinx on Jordan Love, I would say it worked based off of the The way the game ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He still looked pretty good. There was a few moments where I was like, dang it, they're about to win this game. Uh, but he threw two interceptions, so uh, that was my jinx voodoo on Jordan Love. Sorry. <laughs> voodoo. Uh, I do have a question. With how good Jordan Love looked for the Packers all season long, does it change how Bears fans feel about Justin Fields and Caleb Williams, that whole thing? Like, we've he looked good right away, mm-hmm. and obviously there's work that needs to be done yeah. around Fields, but does it change that at all? I, I think it's very split in Chicago right now, honestly. Like, I would say – it's getting close to 50-50 on what people want to do, whether it's keep Justin or draft Caleb. Um, but I don't think this technically has changed anything okay. because people believe that if Justin Fields was able to sit behind a Hall of Fame quarterback and actually develop in the right way and have a coaching staff that uh, built an offense around him and a coaching staff that called plays for him, just like LaFleur is one of the best play callers in the league this last year. Um, they had multiple – they invested multiple picks in their wide receivers – uh, the Bears just hadn't had the chance to do that with in the time that Justin Fields has been there, and he got thrown to the Wolves pretty much immediately. So um, I, I think it's a little different. Some people are some. I think Bears fans are more so looking at C.J. Stroud than anything. Like they're like, you could have had C.J. Stroud <laughs> if you picked them. And I was like, well, everybody was telling us to draft Bryce Young. Not one person said draft C.J. Stroud over number one overall last year. Well, maybe a couple, but like the majority, large majority, yeah, was I hear that. You. So I, I think if anybody, if any Bears fans are looking at any team in play. 
player and how quickly they were able to turn things around. It's the Texans, not the Packers, just because the Packers okay. haven't been bad. <laughs> Makes sense. And then you also went with Bill's middle linebacker. We weren't sure who that was going to oh, be no. based off of injuries. Well, yeah, and then he went down at one point. I texted you guys. I was like, oh, no, I jinxed. This is, I should have picked a Kansas City player, like, not to injure, but to, like, try to do that reverse jinx. But he ended up coming back in. Obviously, that was a good game, and it's Patrick Mahomes, so that's a whole different level. But I think he held his own pretty well. It wasn't like the Pacheco had a good game, but it wasn't like the, the Chiefs were able to run all over the Bills. There were moments like you felt like their defense held their own for a, a good portion of time. It just came late to being Mahomes doing Mahomes things. Unfortunately. Mia, you went with Bills running back James Cook. Mm-hmm. How'd you feel about that one? Oh, we're going to start with that one? Okay. I had the stats pulled up for Carlton Davis. <laughs> we'll start with that one. Hold you can, on. You can start with Carlton Davis. I figured that's the easier one to get to. Um, So seven total tackles. That was good for third on the team. No passes defended. Jamel Dean, the more elite uh, defender, I guess, in the Mm -hmm. secondary, if you may. He had three passes defended against the Lions. Um, But the good news is that if you search on Twitter, uh, Carlton Davis becoming burnt toast akin to giving up three touchdowns against the aforementioned C.J. Stroud earlier this year. Mm -hmm. That didn't happen, and so you can't. 100% 100% put that on uh, a Buccaneers loss like you could in C.J. Stroud's coming out party earlier yeah. this year. So good for Carlton Davis. He didn't end <laughs> up on a poster um, at the hands of the Detroit Lions high-powered offense. As far as James Cook goes, I mean, you guys tell me. I'm screaming at the TV, keep running the ball. I felt mm-hmm. like at, at times I was watching the Jaguars. I was like, Joe Brady, this is what got you here. The reason everyone is so high on you and you're having this renaissance is because you said, you know what? We have James Cook, and no one expects the Buffalo Bills to run the ball. We also are one of the only teams in the NFL that has had the same starting five offensive linemen, oh, who are pretty darn good the whole season. Let's Which is lean- a miracle, honestly. Yeah. Right, let's lean into that. And it just felt like, I don't know, like you guys tell me, like in the fourth quarter, it just felt like they got away from it. And I understand Technically, he only had, you know, 3.4 yards per carry. Mm -hmm. But early on in that game, I mean, they were absolutely gashing a Kansas City Chiefs defense that is, I don't even think arguably, it is the best defense that Andy Reid has had since Patrick Mahomes became the starter in Kansas City. And so, you know, I, I just look at it and I'm like, man, if they just kept with the run, like at one point they had eight minutes left and they had four straight passing plays. Mm hmm. And That's the thing that I feel like we've noticed from the Bills throughout the season is they oh, they abandon the run too early, and they've done that several ga- several games this season. And then there's games when like the run is they come out of the gate strong, they're able to go, and obviously Josh Allen is a part of that. But you feel like that it's right from the start, so they stick with it. The moment that it doesn't work for Buffalo, and I don't know the reasoning for that, they pretty much give up on it. They started handing the ball to Ty Johnson a little more. Who also than they looked had a, awesome. Yeah, and he, he was getting, he was actually looking pretty good. He averaged so you, almost six yards a pop. Yeah. And Josh Allen averaged six, six yards, yards on the ground. So it's weird, and I can't figure out, I guess they just want to, they felt like since they're playing Kansas City, they were going to have to throw the ball to be able to get more points up on the board. Well, the Chiefs cornerbacks had some injuries, so I think they were trying to take advantage of that. Um, And they probably, like, that. I just felt like you're not, like, you've gone to Arrowhead and been in the ultimate shootout of shootouts where you had 30 seconds to get up and down the field. You had eight minutes to get down the field, milk the clock to set up that Tyler Bass field goal. And even the drive previous to that, the one where they had the, you know, even if we go back to the fake punt. Yeah. Like, which if, was a terrible decision. If you yeah. just use the clock to your advantage, like, that has to be considered an extra defender against Patrick Mahomes. 
take away a possession from him by mm-hmm. running it out. Like, you know? Well, but I, I do think we'd be looking at it and talking about it so differently if those deep balls had connected, right? Like, yes. and Josh Allen yeah. put them yeah. in really good spots. They just didn't catch them. And so, right. like you mentioned, Diggs on the one. So it's like we would have been praising them for taking like those, those chances, those yeah. shots downfield and how they weren't afraid and they didn't right. just play conservatively. Like it all gets changed because of a missed field goal, which I saw Tyler Bass. It broke my heart. I saw that he had to delete all of his social media. That part doesn't break my heart. The fact that he felt like he had to because of all the hate and negativity that he was going to receive. Yeah. Because you know, I know, you know, it's just absolute devastation. And did you see the... They also did still have 170 rushing yards, but oh yeah, <laughs> he's just like right. By the way, the, the yeah, I know. By the way, um, the animal shelter that he works yeah. with, like they oh. were even receiving like well, death threats. Really, but then all the Bills fans, in order to support him, started donating to the the cat oh. shelter where yeah. he volunteers, which I thought was really sweet. Like Bills fans have his back, and I mean they have been through so much. That <laughs> fan base, we were just talking about the Lions fan base and everything they've been through. I don't know what's worse, and you could have this argument, neither side is correct. Mm-hmm. The Jaguars have been at home for a couple weeks. Yeah. So you could argue that's worse because you're not even in it. Yep. But the heartache that yep. those Bills fans just went through, literally your heart getting ripped out of your chest because your kicker misses, you don't go to overtime. Now, granted, the Chiefs might have won and all that, we'll never yeah. know. But the heartache that you go through, and especially if you were you know, alive and watching that game in 1991 when Scott Norwood misses right. Yeah. 44 like, yards away. Yeah. Both like, times. Trauma. I don't know. I don't know what's worse, like yeah. to not be in it or to literally go through like you went through the double joint. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what's worse. And or and another thing of where I'm always like, and I've asked this on Twitter a few times just to see like what people feel yeah. about it. But if you, what's worse What's the worst feeling of would you rather have like a Super Bowl win? Let's say you win the Super Bowl, but for like the surrounding 10, 15 years, you're not good, but you have a Super Bowl win or every year you're in the playoffs and make the championship, but you never quite get oh, all the I think way. it's Super Bowl one Super Bowl. Long. And I've had it split Banners every time fly, I do it. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Well, every time I do it, because I lean that way, right. but every time I do it, it's a large portion of people that are like, no, I want to win. Like I here to I want to watch good football every year, competitive football, know that we'll be in the playoffs. Those people have probably had a recent <laughs> championship. That's well, why they I can mean, answer that On my way. Twitter, no, because it's Bears and Jacks. Well, so. Taylor, and this is with all <laughs> due respect, <laughs> uh, and this is knowing that they've invested a lot this offseason and last offseason, but uh, you could probably tell us with the Chicago Cubs because yeah. the, the flame that was 2016, 2017 yeah. has fizzled out at this point. Mm-hmm. But you always have those memories. Yeah. You will always have 2016, yeah. though. Yeah. The, the absolute pure joy the euphoria that comes with the championship yeah. there's nothing like that and right. if anything i feel like sorry to cut you off no, you're but like, good. if anything i feel like that group became so iconic mm-hmm. that people had this perception that they won multiple titles yeah and that they were so good into you know into the 2020s yeah which they were not well it happened so quickly too because it was like chris bryant 2015 next year they're winning the world series and so it was just like bam bam this happened they had a couple good and then it fizzled it fizzled out pretty quickly and it was like joe madden would look look like the best coach ever because what he did with the rays and then he came to chicago and then it just died <laughs> and you're like okay but well people, but history looks but back there's on a world it series as if i mean at least from like living out there myself and even you know just being around other baseball fans here People look back on it as if it was this like long run. Yeah. And it was very much not, but mm-hmm. banners fly forever. Yeah. That the they W do. flag. <laughs> well uh, said. All right, JJ, you went with, and I'm going to say you might have won the week. You went with Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson and Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones. I didn't think Lamar was very good. Uh, he was good on the ground. He did enough to beat a Texans team that just looked happy to be there. But uh, I wasn't impressed. 
Chris Jones, I don't know if he did anything. I feel like he's always like I feel like didn't he bat a ball down at one point? Yeah. He's always at okay. least around it. He had a forced fumble. Yeah, I, I thought he played pretty well. And Lamar, I mean, you put up thirty four points. Yeah, he's yeah. he's incredible to watch. Even if he didn't have his best passing game, uh, I had a big swing and a miss for both of my players. I went with Bills tight end Dalton Kincaid. He was five catches for forty five yards, no touchdowns, and I went with Ravens. Justin Matabuike, the interior defensive lineman, he had two tackles, no sacks. Now, granted, the Ravens didn't need to do a whole lot defensively because yeah. uh, the Texans really fizzled out. But, yeah, I didn't I didn't pick great last week. I thought, too, especially with Dawson Knox only having that one catch for four yards. Mm-hmm. And with Stephon Diggs, just we'll get into it because, <laughs> like, I, I don't know exactly what happened there. I mean, I thought you'd see so much more out of Dalton Kincaid. And for what Mm -hmm. it's worth, when you look at the box score, yes, he had a touchdown, but Khalil Shakir, who it felt like during the game was everywhere, he only had seven catches Mm -hmm. for 44 yards, one less yard than Kincaid. I think that maybe targeting Kincaid a little bit more may have changed the complexity of the offense, but I think they were hoping to have a healthy Dawson Knox throughout, and so maybe they were planning on spreading the wealth a little bit more. I feel like those numbers sometimes when you look at box scores are so deceiving when it comes to what players – because I was when I was doing my gem of the week this week, I was like, who do I want to do for the Lions? Do I want to put Amon Ra or do I want Jameer Gibbs – and when I was thinking about it, I was like, man, there, Jameer Gibbs, for some reason, keeps just popping out to being such an impactful player. And when you look at it, he had 74 yards, one touchdown. But when you go back and see, especially towards the end of the game, how he was keeping like some of those drives alive, those are the moments that kind of put those guys on the next level. So I ended up picking Gibbs. But it's like you don't look and you're not like, wow, that was an incredible game just by 74 yards. But it was like a large part of why the Lions were able to win was because of what Gibbs was able to do on the ground. Yeah, absolutely. Controlling the clock. And especially when the Bucks are idiots and yeah. they go for two this way too insane. early <laughs> and then they don't call the timeout late. Uh, I guess that's when a coach is like, yeah, we're done. We're, <laughs> we are going back to Tampa. Thank you very much. All right. We're going to pick our impact players for the ASC NFC championship games. Uh, JJ, I will start with you. Um, Let's go with Brock Purdy. Mm. All right. And defensively? I don't. I haven't even thought of one. Okay. Skip. Taze Kaler. Um, okay. Offensively, I'm going to try and pull my um, jinx. My jinx on this <laughs> double round this time. Um, so I'm going to say Patrick Mahomes. Um, but there are reasonings for this. I think that the the Ravens defense, when you go through the numbers of what they've been able to do all season from start to finish, they have the second fewest passing touchdowns allowed, fifth fewest lowest completion percentage, second lowest yards and attempts. Tied for second most interceptions. They have the most sacks in the league with 60. Those are the, That's the recipe to be able to rattle a quarterback at least a little bit, even if it is Patrick Mahomes. So you're, I'm hoping that we're able to see some of that from the Ravens' defense. And defensively, um, or, yeah, defensively, I, I think I'm going to say, because I have to think of my reverse jinx now. So <laughs> I, let's go Nick Bosa. Okay. Um, you Not, love Nick Bosa, though. I do love Nick Bosa. I actually want Nick Bosa to have a good game, but um, and I I would be happy, honestly, if either of these teams win because that's kind of where I am right now. But I, I just think that he's one of the players that I guess this one's not a reverse jinx because I actually want him to be able to stop the Lions a little bit, and I love Nick Mosa. I cheer for him. I also think just the Niners' defense has been another one that from start to finish has been able to um, be pretty consistent. They had that three-game stretch where you felt like things were falling apart a little bit, and they were able to get it all together really quickly. And um, this is probably the – toughest defense that the Lions will be able to face and they've been able to run the ball a ton so you're hoping for some of those things to kind of change up this game 
All right, Mia. On offense, I will go Debo Samuel. I know it's 50-50 if he plays or not. Mm -hmm. I think the Mm -hmm. Niners offense, as was seen when they went 0-3 when he was on IR earlier this year, as was seen by their struggles in the second half without him this past Saturday, I think they are a completely different team, randomly Mm -hmm. enough, without their Swiss Army knife, their do-it-all guy in Debo Samuel. And on defense, I'm going to go with Nick Bolton of the Kansas City Chiefs. He was the spy against Josh Allen on Mm. Sunday night. Mm, I would expect more of the same against Lamar. He also led the Chiefs in tackles with 13. All right. I will go with two 49ers players because something tells me that this game is going to get ugly. I'm going to say Brandon Ayuk. And, yes, I understand the stars are Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle. But – Without Brandon Ayuk and without Jawan Jennings, I don't think the 49ers yeah. win that game the way that they made some catches uh, this past weekend against the Packers. So I'm going to mm-hmm. say wide receiver Brandon Ayuk for the 49ers, and then I'm going to say linebacker Fred Warner mm-hmm. because I do think that Jameer Gibbs, like you mentioned, Taylor, is a really talented back, and they're gonna, the Lions want to run the ball all over mm-hmm. the 49ers, and Fred Warner is a really talented linebacker. Not the yeah. all-pro Chris Conley? <laughs> Come on now. It was fun to see him have a catch. Had three catches coming into the year and yeah. had three critical catches <laughs> on Saturday night. I honestly forgot he was there. I, I did too. It said his name at like, first. I was like, is that Chris? Yeah, I was like, is that the same Chris <laughs> who liked to surf? Yeah. And, that, and I mean, Star makes sense Wars now. And we, we have the same birthday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. October 25th, 92. Born the same day. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. I have the same birthday as Doug Marone. Slightly different year. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, those are going to be our impact. <laughs> Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> yeah. At first different. I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> <laughs> he is older. I can confirm. Taylor will take us around the NFL. When we come back, you are listening to Helmets and Heels, driven by Tower Outlet on Tension XL and 92.5 FM. Mio, Brian, Taylor, Dal, Jojo, Selva, I'm Lauren Brooks with you on this Tuesday night. Well, Taylor... Yes. And then there were four. There's only four teams <laughs> left standing. But what else is going on in the NFL? Well, we have a lot. And I think that a lot of um, this, what I'm about to talk about first, kind of goes back to one of the teams that got knocked out this last weekend in the Buffalo Bills. And uh, this is a team that is has a lot of talent on the team. And I think that the last few years, a lot of people, obviously, Josh Allen put at the top of all the quarterback quarterback rankings and the team in general position groups also very high and a lot of the the rankings around the league but for some reason and that reason seems to be the Kansas City Chiefs but um, even beyond that when you're looking at the Buffalo Bills once they get to the playoffs they just have something to where it just hasn't all been able to quite click for them and um, so one of the things that I kind of saw that I saw floating around uh, this last weekend was and Mia kind of briefly mentioned it earlier about the comparison to the Bills to the the Chargers the 06 to 09 010 ish Chargers um, and it was interesting because, for example, here's those the numbers uh, when you go and look at that. So the 06 to 09 Chargers were 46 and 18. Uh, the Bills right now 48 and 18. The playoff win loss three and four for the Chargers, five and four for the Bills. Division titles four for the Chargers, four for the Bills. Uh, points per game 28 for the Chargers, 28 for the Bills. Opponents point, points per game 19 for the Chargers, 19 for the Bills. Um, And then it goes on to even more like division opponents, strength of schedule, all of that. And it was like very similar all the way down from top to bottom. In addition to people comparing Josh Allen stats to Phillip Rivers stats during that period of time, also very similar. So my question for you guys, because this is the the number that I saw, is he's Josh Allen five and five in the playoffs. But the five quarterbacks that he's beat in the playoffs um, that he has won against – 
Philip Rivers in his last season in the NFL. So his exit from the NFL, he was uh, he beat Philip Rivers. Um, he beat uh, injured Lamar Jackson. It was the season of uh, the game that Lamar Jackson ended up exiting because he got hurt in the playoffs. The other ones are Mac Jones, Skylar Thompson, and Mason Rudolph. So a lot of people over the weekend were kind of discrediting Josh Allen and what he's able to do in the postseason because his wins haven't been against good quarterbacks and good opponents when it comes to granted we also have to take into note that the quarterback's not playing the quarterback um so that's one thing but it's also one of the situations where it's just kind of like is this the the bills that next chargers team so to me josh allen does everything possible for his team to win yes he turns the ball over some and too much for most people's liking but peyton manning turned the ball over a lot in the beginning of his career too and went on to win championships I think Josh Allen's going to win championships, and I understand the Chiefs are in the way they have been the last mm -hmm. three out of four years. But at some point, I think they're going to break through. I think he is incredibly talented. He's super tough. I don't think that it's Josh Allen holding the Bills back, and that's the reason that they're not winning. I think it's a fact, like you said, it's a factor of a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. And if Tyler Bass makes that kick, what are we, you know, what are we talking about now? Do the Bills end up winning that game? It was. Obviously, in Orchard Park, not an arrowhead. I think he's great. And maybe that's because I like his style of football. Yeah. Uh, but I also think, like, besides, you know, this year, they haven't really been able to run the ball. And so he's been the primary runner. Mm -hmm. And he's been able to do that in addition to playing quarterback. I can't. Yeah, are, they the, are they going to get a championship? No. I don't think they are. I think they are the Chargers mm -hmm. because Patrick Mahomes is not going anywhere. And this was as good an opportunity mm -hmm. as they had. They had home field advantage. They had arguably the weakest group of skill players that Patrick Mahomes has played with. They had arguably his weakest offensive line. Yes, it was the best defense, mm -hmm. but they had them on the ropes. They were able to run the ball early. I don't even go back to the Tyler Bass kick. Let's address it. Stephon Diggs. Got to catch it. Dog. Yeah. Hit you right here, right, right through the bread basket. If you are this top five wide receiver, I'll say the same thing to you that I said about Calvin Ridley. If you're really a top five wide receiver, you need to make that play. Yeah. It's that simple. That was the play that I go back to, that that is where I went, oh, no, this is about to slip away from them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if they'll be set up with an opportunity quite like they had this weekend facing the Chiefs, the Ravens, heaven forbid, the Texans, or I don't know, the Jaguars get good. Mm -hmm. The Bengals. The Bengals. Joe yeah. Burrow's going to be back next year. Like, you know, and, and that's what, you know, the Tom Brady greatness that we, we so love to talk about, and now comparing it to Patrick Mahomes, what we don't talk about is that his greatness prevented guys like Peyton Manning, mm -hmm. guys like Ben Roethlisberger, guys like Phillip Rivers. You can go right down the line. How many great AFC quarterbacks that we look back and say, dang, he was really good, mm -hmm. never made a Super Bowl or never made as many Super Bowls as they probably could have if Tom Brady wasn't standing in the way. That is the territory we are approaching with Patrick Mahomes. Are we going to find a Eli Manning to Patrick Mahomes? Oh, my God. It could be Brock Purdy. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, maybe. I mean, it's Brock. Maybe it's Brock. <laughs> Brock Purdy's a good quarterback. Don't get me yeah. wrong. And not that Eli was terrible by any means. I think Eli and his teams got a little lucky. But overall, yeah, it's different, though, in the NFC because as long as you can get to the Super Bowl, then certainly anything can happen. It's the same thing. It's, it's the, literally like yeah. history is repeating itself. Yeah. It's yeah, it's definitely interesting. When I saw those numbers, I was like, man, like this is something. And I love Josh Allen. I think he's probably one of my, I would say, top three quarter favorite quarterbacks in the league. And that is personality off the field, on the field, how he plays. Like you said, Lauren, I love his playing style. 
Um, so I definitely think he's up there, but it is hard when you have to go against the best. Like if he was in the NFC, imagine that every year, us having a Bills Chiefs Super Bowl every single year. So let's go down the line of the Tom Brady era. Let's go through who made mm-hmm. the Super Bowl, What quarter? who was the quarterback on the NFC side. His first Super Bowl over the Rams, Kurt Warner, Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. greatest show on turf. The next year, New England wasn't in it. That was the Tampa Raiders Super Bowl. Brad Johnson mm-hmm. against Rich Gannon. Interesting. Happens. The next two Super Bowls, of course, New England won, including one here in Jacksonville. Jake DeLome was the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers. And then Donovan McNabb, who obviously yeah. went on to have a great career. Out of the NFC the next few years, Seattle. This was in 2006. This is pre-Russell Wilson, folks. Mm-hmm. Your Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Taylor, who was the quarterback? Rex Grossman. Rex Grossman. <laughs> Sexy Rexy. Eli Manning in against Tom Brady in 08. Arizona. In 09, Kurt Warner again, yeah. future Hall of Famer. New Orleans in 2010, uh, Drew Brees. Mm-hmm. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. The Giants again. Colin Kaepernick and the San Francisco 49ers. Russell, was, go ahead. That was Flacco. Right. Too. Flacco, Flacco Kaepernick. Right, you have one of those every few <laughs> yeah. years. Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks, times two. The Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton. The Atlanta Falcons and Matt Ryan. Like, compared to it being Peyton, Brady. Roethlisberger mixed in Peyton, there. Peyton. Yeah. Joe Flacco. Peyton, Roethlisberger, Peyton, Tom Brady. <laughs> like, you know? And so, yeah. like, that, you go down the line and, like, it, it's. That's what we're going to see. We're, we're about to. We're, we're entering in that, that territory <laughs> again. And that's why, like, Nick Wright made the point. He thinks that Joe Brady. No, Joe Brady. Joe Burrow is the Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. He's going to win a couple Super Bowls. He's going to make a couple. Um, but then he's going to have some weird, quirky years where they get bounced in the first round or don't even make the playoffs, but they have a winning record. Yeah. And playing into that. But then he, he said he believes that. Mahomes is pre- is Peyton and Brady Crady combined. Mm-hmm. I what, don't know about that. What you want, if you're a Bills fan, is for the Chiefs to get someone else before you ever face them. That's what you're hoping. Is that yeah, 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 yeah. Like someone for instance, the Ravens it. take out the Chiefs, they, right. and then you take on, and then Correct. the behemoth that has yeah. been torturing you is some gone. Weird, some weird thing happens, and you get knocked. They get knocked out in the wild card round, Correct. and you don't even have to worry. That's about what you're hoping. Them. Yeah, or yeah. the divisional round. Either way, yeah. like you do not want to be the the team that has to face them uh, in the playoffs because yeah. that's what it's gotten to. Uh, I want to, speaking of the playoffs, let's look at some of this. Um, they have the. Some fun facts, I guess. I love fun facts. Fun facts. Uh, Can we bet these. on these? Can we do prop bets on <laughs> yeah, these? Prop bets of the fun facts of this weekend and the championship weekend for the NFL. So um, the first one says, passing the torch, and this is something we just were kind of talking about. Um, either Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes has started a conference championship game in each of the last 13 postseasons. Brady made the conference title game in eight straight seasons from 2011 to 2018. Mahomes' six-year streak overlapped with Brady in 18 those are the two longest streaks in QB hist- and QBs uh, in NFL history. Mahomes has made this round in every in every season as a full starter. Yeah, so that's my- why some people are starting to think to me his point that Mahomes could end up being better than Brady mm-hmm. because he's already done it six straight times. Yeah. So we talked about this a little bit, but who in the AFC could you see ending possibly ending that for the Chiefs? Because we say it, she says it probably won't be the Bills. Do you see Cincinnati being able to be that team? I don't know. I think it could be Baltimore because of the defense that they have. And, I mean, obviously Lamar's super dynamic as well on the offensive side. But 
I think at the end of the day, if you want to beat the best, your defense has to come up yeah. huge. And so that's where this weekend, I mean, I feel like I'm counting down that. You never want to like wish your life away, but I, I feel know. like I'm just counting just down the hours <laughs> until we can get to the football on Sunday. I know. Uh, speaking that's why we of, have college basketball, by the way, Lauren. Uh, speaking of that, yes. Florida State is playing at Syracuse right now. Syracuse, it's very early, but Syracuse leads 6-2. to two. Speaking yeah. of college basketball. Yeah, they beat yeah. Miami on a buzzer beater at the Carrier Dome on Saturday. Uh-huh. Speaking of best of the best, Lamar Jackson, uh, he'll win the NFL MVP. It's he's just had that kind of season. Um, Patrick Mahomes won last year, matching their ma- their matchup is the third between the last two MVP quarterbacks in playoff history. So Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Brett Favre, uh, Steve Young were the ones previous to that. So my question for you is more on the Lamar side. Does this whether he wins or loses? finally give him just that stamp of, yes, Lamar Jackson is a a franchise and elite quarterback. Yes, we need it. I mean, J.J. said it last week. This past weekend could have been a legacy game for Mm -hmm. Lamar if he had lost. This one definitely is. Mm -hmm. How often have Patrick Mahomes and uh, Lamar Jackson played each other? I want to see that. I think Patrick Mahomes has played the Ravens four times. I don't know if Lamar played all four times. That's what Mahomes' numbers are insane. I know the four times that he's played. Like over 300 yards every single time and multiple touchdowns. So 2021, that was a one-point victory for the Ravens, and that was in Baltimore. And I would assume Lamar played because he usually gets hurt at the, at the end of the and, year. Yeah. Um, September of 2020, granted that was the COVID year. That was a Chiefs victory. 2019, which would have been both of them, that was a Chiefs victory at Arrowhead. And, yeah, that would have been the last time. Or maybe – no, yeah, because Mahomes wasn't starting in 2018. Right? Or no, he was. He was. Yeah, okay. So yeah. then that was also Yeah, Mahomes. he's played four times yeah. against the Ravens. Right. And they've all gone very well for the Chiefs. Because what doesn't go well for the Chiefs? <laughs> no. Crying out loud. I know. <sighs> uh, one more. Yep. Um, so, and we were talking about this one a little bit. So, it says, if you ain't first, you're last. Uh, so, and it's talking about Jared Goff, first overall pick in 2016 against Brock Purdy, 262nd overall pick in 2022. It's the first playoff matchup in NFL history between quarterbacks drafted First and last in the round. So my question on this one is, what do you think would be the bigger Super Bowl storyline? And let's take the Lions' history out of this, just specifically talking about quarterbacks. Um, the last draft pick versus the, you know, the having that last draft pick making it year two of his career, or the Jared Goff versus Matthew Stafford swap, and both of them getting a Super Bowl out of it, mm. if the, if they were to win. To me, I think it's Jared Goff because he was pretty much discarded by the Rams to go to Detroit and lost all of his confidence. Mm -hmm. Like Brock Purdy is surrounded by so much talent. I mean, it's great what he's done. Don't get me wrong. But I I feel like Jared Goff has kind of risen from the ashes. And if you've ever, I feel like, been, you know, in a relationship where the person just completely walked away, like, and traded up for someone else, like, you understand how it must have felt to be Jared Goff and have the whole world kind of, or at least the country, Kind of laugh at you. Yeah. I can't help but feel like with all the steps that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell and the Lions have taken, would they be very happy to win the Super Bowl and make the Super Bowl this year? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they'll be disappointed if they lose either. Like, I feel like they they would say, you know what? This was the next step. This was the goal. Next year is Super Bowl, which I'm not sure that's a way to live. But that's just the vibe I get. Interesting. Um, it was never their thought of like, okay, in four years' time, we're winning the Super Bowl. It was – Tear it all down, be competitive enough, then make the playoffs. 
and then it's you establish some sort of dominance. They still have so many young players. We we have talked pretty at length about those four first, second-round picks, mm-hmm. and that's not including Hendon Hooker, who they took at their fifth draft pick. Between Jameer Gibbs, Jack Campbell, Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, how much contribution they've gotten from those four, they're all rookies. You still got three to four more years of their rookie deals, and so you are entering that window now, and that was always the goal. There you have it. What do you think, by the way? Yeah, I, I think that both are cool stories, but I do agree that I think to me here that just the whole storyline of you flop quarterbacks, one is just kind of discarded, but then also it's just it's one of the few full-on win-win scenarios you'll see of a trade, I feel like, if they were to win. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, Brock Purdy, if he and the 49ers make the Super Bowl, you're going to hear that ad nauseum, trust oh, yeah. me. That he was Mr. Irrelevant. People who never heard of what Mr. Irrelevant is that, <laughs> yeah. that don't pay attention to sports, they're going to learn it, uh, like I said, if they make the Super Bowl. All right, we've got our highlights when we return. You are listening to Elmas and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet on 10th and XL and only 2.5 FM. Helmets and Heels on 1010XL, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans. Welcome back to this edition of Helmets and Heels. Me, O'Brien, Taylor, Dahl, JJ, Silva. I am Lauren Brooks. By the way, this has nothing to do with our highlights, which are about to come up. But I went to the Nocatee Farmer's Market this past weekend, and it was lovely. Oh, yeah. Mm. So I highly recommend. Uh, it happens, the I think it's the third Saturday of every month. Uh, you can find out more information online. But if you like that sort of thing, then highly recommend it. Lots of local vendors. There was live music by a local country band called Cumberland. That's the main reason I wanted to go. Um, but they definitely had local hot sauces and vinegar sauces and Sweet. peppers. And they had some produce. Obviously, that's going to happen a little bit more often when the weather's a little nicer. But yeah, a lot of good stuff. And so, uh, like I said, just enjoyed it, even though, by the way, it was very, very, very cold. And I am the dumb person who brought gloves with me and then left them in the car because I was like, <laughs> I don't need them. It's it's warm enough. I'm tough. And then the moment I started walking around, I was like, why didn't I get my gloves out of the car? That was, like I said, very dumb. But either way, uh, it was a lot of fun. It's that kind of stuff that I feel like you get to do when football doesn't start till a little bit later. You took the words out of my mouth, Lauren. These are the things, once football is over, that you can do with your lives. <laughs> there are other things going on. Who would have thunk? Exactly. All right, time now for this week's highlights. Nobody does it better. Lamar Jackson to Isaiah likely extends the Ravens' lead to 24-17. to Corners. For this Texans defense, now second and one. Jackson, end zone, likely for the touchdown. A 15-yard touchdown throw from Lamar Jackson. Ravens up 14. Brock Purdy leads a game-winning drive against the Packers, going 69 yards in five minutes to head to the NFC Championship. Purdy in some trouble. Got room to run if he wants it. He's going to take it. Purdy inside the 10 and diving near the 6. They're going to put him down at the 5 and right near a first down. McCaffrey. McCaffrey scores! 49ers in front! Number 16 Utah ties it up to force overtime and eventually defeat number 2 UCLA. By UCLA! Down in the far corner. Switch everything. They're going to get it to Vieta. She'll drive! And she'll score it to tie it up! The heave to win it! 
There you have it. I, this week, went with Lamar Jackson to Isaiah Likely, and the reason was because, and I'm sure you all saw this as you are watching the game, earlier in uh, the first half, Lamar Jackson goes to throw it to Likely, but the it's not uh, caught. I'll say it like that. It wasn't a great pass, and mm-hmm. Isaiah told him, throw it higher. And then the next time around, when he goes to throw it to him, he threw it nice high. and high. And as a Jag, watching from just a Jaguars perspective, it's like, wait a minute, it's that simple. Yeah. And also, I put read it Peter, here. Yeah, just put it there. Like it, those, and that was in front of everybody too. Like <laughs> that, that happened. That wasn't behind closed doors. And I also read Peter King's uh, Football Morning in America, and he said that Lamar Jackson at halftime went to Todd Monk and the offensive coordinator and said. We need to stop with the long developing routes mm-hmm. because the Texans are blitzing more than they normally do. So we've got to have a little bit shorter of routes. I got to get the ball out faster. He did, uh, I think, almost a second faster, if not more than that, in the second half. And obviously, you saw what happened. Mm-hmm. They went on a 24 uh, nothing scoring run. It's that type of stuff that you get to see Lamar Jackson's evolution. Yeah. And Isaiah likely hasn't been around that long, and yet he's able to tell this superstar MVP quarterback where to go with the ball. Like, that's the kind of chemistry that we need between Trevor Lawrence and the wide receivers slash tight ends here in Jacksonville. I was just about to say, when you have somebody like Mark Andrews, who is one of the best tight ends in the league, go down, usually you see a drastic change. And to have someone like Isaiah Likely to just come in and almost like click immediately with Lamar, and you saw it, it, obviously it got a little bit stronger throughout the season, but there was just so many moments where when you're watching them, that play specifically when you go and he the way he reaches over, number one, the, the communication on that play, you could tell was exactly where it needed to be because Lamar put it where he wanted it, likely knew exactly what to do with the ball, how to turn, how to catch over the guy's head. And it was, if you want to go see the play, obviously go watch it. But it's one of those situations where when you talk about connection, when you talk about um, finding talent uh, and being able to develop talent. All of these things are what we're seeing the Ravens do right now, and they, they've been criticized so much the last few years that it's fun to watch them actually all of this pan out for them because it's just been, I feel like, such a stretch of time where you're like, man, like they, they've done everything they've needed to do, and it's just kept falling short, and then now it's finally kind of all pieced together this year as like a final little touch. By the way, I was going through some old documents on my computer earlier, and I found in 2018 we had to do videos, and we had to name the top five players we'd like to see the Jaguars draft. Mm-hmm. And it didn't all have to be one position by any means, but my top five players were Lamar Jackson, Christian Kirk, Hayden Hurst, Mike McGlinchey, the tackle, mm-hmm. and Will Hernandez, the guard. Now, like, again, you couldn't have had all of them. Four for yeah, five. Yeah. But yeah. Three for five, depending who you ask. Yeah, exactly. But I was like, I mean, if we had just drafted in 2018, one Lamar Jackson and Christian Kirk, because <laughs> yeah. you could have gotten them even first round, them. second round. like, Or, yeah, I mean, come on, man. Like, yeah. uh, But that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Taylor, you went with Brock Purdy? Yes. Uh, well, I guess the Niner, that whole final drive, uh, the Niners drive that put them up, obviously, it was fun. And it's just one of the things to me that – We talk a lot about Brock Purdy is also one of the ones that has had a lot of criticism of how much is his surroundings, how much is Brock. Um, I'm seeing both sides of it when you see a lot of the guys break down the quarterback film. But there's no denying that in the moment at the end of the game when he needed to get down the field and score a touchdown, he was able to do it. And they did it in multiple ways. He threw the ball. They ran the ball. He ran the ball. He had to scramble a little bit and got a first down on one end. You saw Christian McCaffrey do what Christian McCaffrey is just able to do, which is just when you look at Carolina you're like what in the world how would you ever let Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore go Um, seriously but 
it's just one of those things where you look at Kyle Shanahan, and that's why I, I tweeted, I think, on Sunday where I was like, can I, like, screw getting a new quarterback in Chicago? Can we just get a Kyle Shanahan? Because just the things he does, and that wasn't even probably his best coached game. There were some things there where you could kind of question his his choices, but it's still, when it comes down to it, they're able to do it, and it's against a really a hot Packers team who was playing good on both sides of the ball, and it, it was just it was fun to watch everything kind of develop towards the end, especially – being a Bears fan. But. Did you think the San Francisco contingent's <laughs> reflection of that final drive in which at least one beat reporter compared it to Joe Montana? Did you oh, think that was no. justified? No, I would not say that. <laughs> that is very, I'm not there. <laughs> very much a thing that happened. Yeah, I'm not there. I, I think that he, yeah, I, I mean, I think that Brock did what Brock needed to do at the end. There were some bad throws during the game where yeah, I was he like, should have been Oof. picked off several times. Yes. There were several where I was like, man, that was not pretty. But when he needed to do it, when it counted the most, he was able to. So That he was. Uh, you're right about that. And plus, you just wanted to see the Packers yeah. lose. So yeah. to you, it didn't matter how it happened as long as they won. And Mia, you went with Utah women's basketball? Yes, I did. And I'm rocking the Utah home field apparel right now, too. A big win for the Lady Utes. It's been awesome. Look, I understand my affinity for Iowa. We get that out of the way. But it's been awesome to see so many other corners of the country get behind women's college basketball, especially over the last two, three years. Utah is, is a place that I don't think traditionally you would think, oh, that's a women's basketball powerhouse. But what Lynn Roberts has built out there, they had a sold-out crowd last night against number two UCLA, who, by the way, has come a far cry from even their consistent, you know, making the round of 32, making the Sweet 16 here and there that they were for the bulk of the 2000s to now being a powerhouse top 10 team this year. And so it was a great game, came down to the wire. Utah led up until the final minute, and UCLA goes up by three or four. Uh, credit to the Utes. They hung in there. I think the biggest challenge for them was that Alyssa Peely is their All-American center. She's an undersized Samoan. She's awesome. She did not have it going last night, 4 of 15 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3. She did make all eight free throws, though, but 14, or what was it, or 16 points, half of them were free throws, not exactly what you want. And so they couldn't really flow the offense through her. Their three-point shooting was lights out. They had 10 threes within, like, the first minute of the second half. And so they hung in there, and in the final minute, that play that you heard was a beautifully drawn-up roll-around basket. And, uh, yeah, and then they went on to win in overtime. And good to see a team that I semi-root for win in overtime in a in a ranked matchup because that did not happen on Sunday for Lisa no, Bluter's Iowa which, Hawkeyes. Did you watch that women's basketball game, Iowa versus Ohio State, since it was on? I didn't watch it. Okay, that, no. so it was supposed to be Football Night in America mm-hmm. on NBC, and the game went to overtime. Oh. So a lot of people who were waiting for football ended up watching it. I was one of those people like, mm-hmm. oh, I'll watch this until it comes on. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, – what's the Ohio State girl's name? Oh, McMahon. Yeah. yeah she's she, a sophomore. She's really, really good. She's so good. Like, that's <laughs> what I took away from the game. I obviously already knew who Caitlin Clark was, but I was like, I've never heard of this person, and she is, I shouldn't have said girl, I guess woman, woman yeah. uh, because she is a beast, and she was super talented in that game. I think she finished with over 30. Yeah, she had 33 yeah. and 12. She, and honestly, most of it came in the second half. They, they contained her. Ohio State was in foul trouble much of the first half, much of the second half too, um, but she was the one player who kind of avoided it for the most part and then made shots when it mattered most. I mean, Ohio State was like, not making shots until the fourth quarter. That's what was so incredible. Iowa had a 10-point lead Mm -hmm. with five minutes to play. 
and Ohio State from that point forth. I know multiple people tweeted it. They were like, have they missed a shot in the second half of the fourth quarter? Because I'm not sure they did. Um, Credit to them. Again, another program that I think after Kelsey Mitchell, who's the NCAA's second all-time leading scorer, graduated in 2018, I think that they were still good, but they maybe didn't have that marquee player. I'm not sure they do, but maybe they do in McMahon. Um, And so, again, good to see that they're getting back because, like, and I've said this before on the program, like, when I was covering Iowa, like that 2015 to 2018 stretch, which was when uh, Kelsey Mitchell was at Ohio State, it was literally Ohio State, Maryland, maybe Iowa, and everybody else in the Big Ten. And Iowa was like not even like a perennially like NCAA tournament team at that point. Like they had made the Sweet 16 in 2015. They made two WNITs and two tournaments in which they only got to the first round the two years, three years, excuse me, that I was there. And so it wasn't like the Big Ten had so much parity. And now it's like arguably the best conference in college basketball, in women's college basketball, mm-hmm. maybe regular college basketball. Men, excuse me, regular. Regular. Men, <laughs> regular men. <laughs> men's college basketball. Actually, no, it's not. But, yes, yeah, sorry to the SEC homers out there. Can I ask you, because I see on the AP rankings for the women, so Ohio State moved up six spots yep. because of that win. Do you expect them to keep? hanging up slash climbing or do you think that was like a one-off for them to beat a team like Iowa the way they did it was funny because when the game tipped off I said to my mom too because my parents were watching the game we were texting during it like I said this was like one game that like Iowa hadn't lost since November 16th Mm. I was like if there's a game that they can afford to lose it's on the road hostile environment 18,000 people at Value City Arena top 25 team up-and-coming squad. Like, I was like, you know what? If they lose this one, it's fine. It's whatever. Um, In terms of Ohio State, obviously, you know, they've got some momentum now. I believe this was their sixth straight win. And so they have some momentum building. They'll travel to Illinois and Purdue, who are both kind of middle – or and Wisconsin after that. Oh, boy. Uh, Cellar dweller. So they've got three winnable games coming up. Um, Then they host Indiana, which is huge. I think that was a big thing Sunday was they hosted – all of Iowa's ranked matchups up to this point, they have hosted. Mm-hmm. So I think that that home field, home court advantage is critical. Um, but they'll have some tough tests. I mean, Michigan State and Penn State have kind of turned around this year. Nebraska's no slouch. They host Maryland, which helps. And then they finish the season by traveling to Iowa City. And, uh, yeah, I would think revenge will be on the mind. <laughs> in girls basketball here in Duval, we had a oh, big yeah. matchup tonight between Bishop Kinney and Mandarin. Ooh. I'll have you know, Taylor Dahl, my alma mater beat yeah. your alma mater 56 to 18. Oh, now, well, Bishop Kenny, rude. girls basketball is really good. We all <laughs> yes. know that. Uh, I don't know about Mandarin, but I just you had pay to pay your that players. Up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we pay them a lot. I'm part of the Bishop Kenny NIL. All right, we've got one segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tyra Outlet on 10 to on 82.5 FM. Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. Brought to you by Underwood Jewelers. And First Coast Lighting and Fans on 1010XL. One segment to go here on Helmets and Heels, driven by Tire Outlet. We were just discussing our sports crushes in the break. (laughs) Well, at least Taylor and I. Mia doesn't have one. I can't Uh, think of it. Like, I'm trying to think. Like, even as a little kid. Really? That's, I mean... I guess it's different for everybody. I think I've had a sports crush like every year <laughs> until I would, yeah, until probably the last few years. Uh, but I would say when I was in college, Jesse Palmer was the quarterback at Florida. Mm. So he was definitely my sports oh, crush, yeah. which congratulations to he and his wife. They he's just nice had their baby looking. girl. <laughs> yeah. It's and nice. I mean, now that he's been on The Bachelor and like the yeah. host of those things, I'm like, okay. It's a little uh, cheesy I'm, at that point. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, he was, uh, he was certainly a fun guy to at least think about when you're in college. 
dream about. <laughs> I know. Does that, does that come out right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, we don't have yours to discuss, Mia. No, I, like I'm honestly like racking my brain. <laughs> That's um, all right. Maybe this makes yeah, Kevin. You should have to think that hard. Th- th- I was going to say this makes <laughs> Kevin. I can name five right now. <laughs> this makes Kevin feel good that this is, how my, this is how my brain works. Absolutely. All right. Get it to the coaching carousel here quickly and we'll get it back to the basketball. The Titans last night hired Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. I think many people thought that Bobby Slowick, mm-hmm. the Texans offensive coordinator, would get that job. Any surprise for you all when that news came out last night? Um, a little surprised I mean from from what I was like people I was talking to like Callahan certainly was a candidate um he was a guy who was getting some push late um but uh, hey credit to the Titans apparently there's a whole story where like he was supposed to fly commercial yesterday and instead his flight got canceled so he was gonna drive and that's when Amy Strunk was like no 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 no. let me send a private jet just because you're so committed and then they brought him in, and they didn't want him to leave. So then they offered, made an offer he couldn't refuse. So there's some story floating around like that. Um, good hire. I think a lot of it has to deal with Will Levis and trying to bring in somebody who has worked with a young mm-hmm. quarterback and having five years of experience with Joe Burrow, not five, four years of experience with Joe Burrow versus Bobby Slowick's one year with C.J. Stroud. Maybe that mm-hmm. was a factor. But I also think akin to the Jaguars with Ryan Nielsen, it was, all right, if we think this is the best one of, if not the best candidate, we better snatch him up now before he's gone. Yeah, it did seem like that. Again, I thought it would be Slowick with what he did with C.J. Stroud this year, but certainly uh, the Texans, uh, at least for now, get to keep him. But it looks like he is having, Slowick is having some second interviews with teams. Yeah. But that, Taylor, to me, is the crazy part. We sit here on January 23rd. There are still five jobs open. And it, everything you read is all these teams are bringing in several people for their second rounds of interviews. Yeah. All I know is I'm just so glad the Jaguars are not <laughs> having to deal with that. Dealing right now. with that. I yeah. I know. And you are looking for a coaching staff, but the head coach, that the one thing with that, you can't even move on to the rest until you figure that out. Of the majority of these players, pretty much, I mean, teams, when you get rid of your head coach, a lot of the rest of the staff are going to be gone too. And so once you have, you're not able to do anything else until you get that head right. coach. So, and then it also starts limiting options too, because all these other people are starting to hire their OCs and QB coaches and all of the defensive coordinators and all of these things. And it's taking some of your options off the board. So it's wild that there's that many still just floating out there with coachless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought for sure the Chargers would already have their coach. I thought the they Seahawks, may, by the way, and they might. You're right. Harbaugh might get announced any second. Uh, he certainly has been there a lot. It seems uh, the Seahawks. I thought by now because I thought the reason they would have let Pete Carroll walk away from being a head coach somebody. is because they had an idea. I thought maybe Vrabel would be the head coach there already. Mm-hmm. The Falcons. I thought we're going to hire Bill Belichick after two meetings with him. But now I'm not so sure about that. Well, uh, they took it off the board. Joe Cowart noted that on primetime today. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think that it's the worst kept secret in Atlanta. I keep seeing. What like, are you waiting for? Well, I keep seeing like reporters being like, well, you know, they're trying to fulfill the Rooney rule and leave no stone unturned. And it's like, listen, we all know where this is headed. Just hire him. <laughs> like, you know, it, like you, you've had interviews with like everybody from my grandma to my neighbor at this point. <laughs> the you com- have fulfilled the Rooney rule. I'm pretty confident. Yeah. The commanders and the Panthers. I thought those would take a while because I thought everybody who was a top candidate would hire, get hired before those mm-hmm. two jobs would be filled. So the Panthers did promote Dan Morgan internally mm-hmm. to the full-time GM, GM and president yeah. role, which has gotten a lot of heat around the National Football League and online and social media because people can't help but wonder. I mean, I understand he was a former player, very much appreciated in the city of Charlotte. Is he just a yes man to David Tepper? 
And was David Tepper waiting on the head coaching hire until he hit someone that Dan Morgan could quote unquote sign off on, which is really David Tepper signing off. Yeah, I'm really glad we don't cover the Panthers. I don't Panthers. know if I was I was about that. to say, if I was I a Panthers say. fan, I, I would probably want Tepper gone anyways. But Absolutely. You, especially when you come, the decisions that he's made the last few years, mm-hmm. and I just mentioned two big, two big ones earlier and Christian McCaffrey and DJ Moore, terrible decisions that have completely altered. You drafted a quarterback last year and literally did everything opposite of help him <laughs> that you could. Yes, you are right about that. A uh, quick update when it comes to FSU Syracuse. It is all knotted up at 26, so a good game there with about 340 left to play. Speaking of local basketball, though, UNF uh, really off to a good start when it comes to the A-Sun. We know that Chaz Lanier just earned his second A-Sun Player of the Week honor and head coach Matthew Driscoll and his staff, now the winningest staff in A-Sun history, which I mean, I think he and that staff are going to be there a long time. So mm-hmm. they're go- probably going to end up as being the winningest staff in Ace on history, I think, period, end of story, uh, once all is said and done. But either way, what Coach Driscoll has done, if you talk to anyone who's a UNF supporter, they will tell you they lost four players to NIL deals because mm-hmm. other schools are able to give things that UNF is not able to do so. Uh, and, of course, they lost Dimitri Moss as well uh, to a season-ending injury earlier this season. And so – that's one of their better guards. And so what he's been able to do, certainly Chaz Lanier, Dorian James have stepped up. Uh, Jake Vander Heiden, mm-hmm. how do you say yep. that last mm-hmm. name? Uh, uh, also stepped, uh, playing really well as of late as well. Dude, Chaz, great guy, first of all. But Chaz last year from covering the games, doing sidelines, doing play-by-play, like Chaz was like the lovable goofball, like a bit almost among, you know, some of the staffers at UNF. Like if they needed someone to give him a giggle, it was Chaz just being awkward and funny. Now he is literally among the top three scoring leaders in the A-Sun. He was averaging, what, 50% shooting last week or something? Like there was some crazy number thrown out there. He is their best player. He is a top five player I in the conference. It. I like it is it is a trajectory and a story arc I did not see coming. But <laughs> is he I still love goofy it. though? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Yeah. I think like, don't lose that. I love right. that. I think he's still goofy. I think it just, you know, he's he's taken on a different it's role. A little, and yeah. I think Which from, he had to, it seems right, like. From my vantage point, like it definitely feels like being picked to finish second to last in the conference for the mm-hmm. first yep. time since Matthew Driscoll Matthew Driscoll's first year lit a fire lit a fire yeah. under that team and they're they're finding they're finding ways to win games and they have a big test when they head to Eastern Kentucky mm-hmm. um, five and zero the only five and zero team in the conference although there's an argument argument to be made that. UNF should be 5-0. and they, Their only loss in conference was on a buzzer beater, essentially, yep. mm-hmm. to Stetson, Stetson yeah. their first game. So, yeah, the schedules for this week, UNF at Bellarmine Thursday, tipping off at 6.30, and then at Eastern Kentucky, like Mia just said, Saturday, 4 p.m. JU obviously plays the flip-flop of that at Eastern Kentucky Thursday, tipping off at 7 p.m. at Bellarmine Saturday at 4 p.m. A uh, quick gymnastics update for y'all because oh, yes. I know you cannot survive without a Florida <laughs> gymnastics update. Uh, so Florida was at Auburn this past week. Florida had to meet the prior week, but I wasn't able to watch because I was at the River City Rumble. So Is first Lee time, still at Auburn? She's not. Oh. Yeah. So when I tell you that Florida was able to win, it is because, in part, Suni Lee is no longer there. <laughs> yeah. But it's also because Trinity Thomas is no longer there for Florida. Oh. Neither is Kayla DiCello because she wants to participate in the Olympics. So she's focusing on that, not college gymnastics. So it came down to sort of the very end. Florida was way ahead of Auburn. Uh, and then Auburn had some stumbles on beam. And so if you know about college gymnastics, the home team always finishes on floor. So mm-hmm. uh, they, Auburn being the home team, did beam, then floor to finish. And so as long as Florida had a decent beam routine from their gymnasts, 
was going to win in, in very, pretty easy fashion. They were up by like half of a point, which is a ton. Uh, well, as it turns out, Florida started to wobble on beam. Uh, one person almost fell off. One gymnast almost fell off, but she thankfully was able to hold on. And you can drop one score, but if you have multiple gymnasts yeah. have issues, well, then you're in trouble. Well, Florida had a saving grace, and that is that two of the Auburn gymnasts on floor at home stepped out of bounds. Oh, you wow. almost never see that. On the road, maybe, because yeah. the sight lines are a little different. But at home, you literally almost never see that. And they were two of their best gymnasts, too. So I thought Auburn was going to possibly uh, get the win, even though, like I said, Florida was super far ahead, a tenth of, uh, half a tenth a point. I said half a point earlier. That's way too much. Uh, but in the end, like I said, Florida was able to win. All Florida needed at the very end was like a 9-8. They got that uh, easily on beam. And so Florida lives to play uh, – not lives. It's a regular <laughs> season meet. But Florida plays host to Alabama this coming weekend. Oh, that's a big Both can, top 10. Can I ask you real quick? Yeah. Because obviously when we're talking about home games and home advantage for football and basketball, mm-hmm. we know what all those are. Is there a reason that home teams get floor – last it finished with floor yes because you get the crowd into it and so it that it's part of your home meet advantage okay, basically interesting. yeah I was gonna pair real quick a men's basketball update the storyline of the weekend um I, I already pronounced it for Frank and Hayes I don't think you guys are prepared for this but actually Taylor maybe because I practiced this earlier <laughs> the biggest story in men's basketball over the weekend arguably was Big Z oh yeah the Kentucky player. Yes, the Kentucky player, yeah. which I want to pair with Florida because amateur status, NCAA, is such a fascinating situation we find ourselves mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of Big Z, it was because um, he was playing in a professional league in Europe, but it wasn't. he hadn't actually renounced his amateur status, which is why it took two months for the NCAA to rule that he could play for Kentucky. And in the same light, it's so interesting with gymnasts and other Olympic sports that they have to renounce their college eligibility so that they can compete in the Olympics. I, I kind of think that it's archaic weird. at yeah. this point. It is. And you, you feel could, like they would change that. Yeah, you could bring golf into it, too, with the mm-hmm. amateur that just won and not yep. even being able to keep the money in Nick Dunlop. All right, let's say hello to Rick Ballou. Now, the two-minute drill brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. Rick, are you locked into FSU Syracuse men's basketball? I'm not. I'm not. I, I see it's up. <laughs> I'm not at all. That's, that's they went on a little nice run. They struggled last week. Yeah, against Clemson. Uh, I think they had won four in a row or four yeah. out of five. They went over Wake Forest. Playing yeah, some better basketball. but Doesn't You know, I've never been one to bite the hand that feeds you, but um, i got plenty of other things I can talk about. I'm just – I'm not enamored. No. All right. Uh, so I mean, I would have fired him 20 years ago, and he's still the true. coach. That's true. Uh, I was in Chicago, and I would have fired him. <laughs> he's done some good things since, and that's the good news. I, they don't care, though. I mean, they, they really don't. It's gravy, and they care about baseball, and they care about a, lo- a lot of women's athletics. But basketball has always been way, way, way down uh, at Florida State. And he's done a really nice job recruiting. Put some guys in the NBA. He's just He's never been a good X's and O's guy. He's never been a good in-game basketball coach, in my opinion. All right, what's coming up tonight? We got a lot tonight. A lot on the Jaguars. Uh, JJ and I are both baseball fans. So uh, the Hall of Fame announcement came in. Um, you know, I'm uh, my opinion on the steroids is they've they've paid the penance. You know, it's time. Everyone cheated in that era. And I know most out there still disagree with that, and that's fine. But, you know, I think time kind of gives you an opportunity to uh, to forgive and, 
Manny Ramirez and Alex Rodriguez are arguably two of the greatest right-handed hitters of the last 50 years, and they got just over 30% of the vote. So I, I have an issue with that, and uh, we'll spend a little bit of time on that, but uh, certainly more on the Jaguars and a lot of good stuff coming up tonight. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Rick. All right, have a good night. All right, there he goes. Stay tuned for Into the Night with Rick Ballou. That comes up next for Taylor Dahl. For me, O'Brien, for J.J. Silva. I'm Lauren Brooks. Don't go anywhere. Keep it right here on 102.5 FM.